Uh, good morning, and yeah, so good to be with you guys today. If you're online, uh, you know, streaming, uh, welcome, yeah. The, you know, what is something in your life or that you could think of just in this world that you're like, man, that is kind of exceptional, and because it's so exceptional, it's not really like an example of something that you can attain, but you think, wow, that's, you know, it's, that's all it is. It's, that, that's just the exception, you know, and I think that there's actually kind of many things that we kind of think like that, that, hey, because that's so exceptional, that's just something that I could never be like. Maybe that's an exceptional time, an exceptional event. We think of that about people in sports. You know, Tom Brady, man, he, he's, just, he, he's just the exception. You know, he, he's just playing on a different level than everyone else around him. Who, who could ever kind of go to as many Super Bowls as him or win as many Super Bowls as him? I mean, hopefully Patrick Mahomes wins today. Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. We don't like Tom Brady. Uh, and that's why we all need Jesus, right? Um, you know, or, you know we think, or we think of Michael Jordan or, or, or Tiger Woods. They're just the exception. Now, they're not really an example for, for the rest of us because we're so far away from being something like that. There's no point in really trying. Maybe you see that in the person at the gym and you're like, well, golly, they're just in super mega shape. And it seems like also that maybe, you know, you talk to them and they eat whatever you, they want. And you're like, man, I ate an orange and just it's, it's nothing. man, I gained five pounds. What's up with that? Um, you know, or, um, you know, or maybe you see somebody else's kids and you're just like, they do everything that their parents tell them. They do things that their parents don't even tell them, and they're obeying. How did you get there? How, how does that happen? And you just think, well, that just has to be the exception. I don't know if I can ever get my family like that. Or maybe you see someone, and, and it's like, man, they have all these amazing relationships, and they're so close with others, and they're these amazing friends. And you think, man, I don't know if I've really ever had that. You know, that, that must just be the exception. And we think this way with all kinds of things. Maybe it's people's marriages, people's finances. Maybe it's even with somebody and how they love Jesus or how somebody has peace through a really tough situation. We think, man, that's just kind of, they're the exception. But I, they're not really an example because there's no way that I could kind of experience or be something like that. You know, we kind of fall into this kind of way of thinking too when it comes to God. You know, God, God loves this person. I mean, look how amazing it is that they know the love of God like that, or they're, they're forgiven like that, but I don't know if that's really for me. Man, that just doesn't feel the same. Um, you know, or maybe you've been feeling that way as we've gone through the book of Acts. Man, look how God did these amazing things back then, but I don't know about today. That must just be the exception back then, not really an example for us. Um, and yeah, Acts, you know, it, it is this book, and we've said it a little bit, you know, hey, Acts is this descriptive book. It is telling us these stories of what God did and how he acted. And it's not always, you know, it's describing these stories, and it's not always prescriptive of just saying, hey, and do this exactly the same way. And just how, how it happened like this is just how it happens today. But, you know, and so like I would affirm that, but at the same time, Acts is not just this, these stories of the exceptions. 
It's not just these stories of like, oh man, hey, look of all these amazing things that God did back then, and today you're just so far removed from it, you might not even pay attention. But it, it really is this example to us of like, hey, not just the exception back then, but this is an example to us of how the same God is working today and how he wants to move in and through us. And so, you know, today we are jumping back into Acts. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of Acts, Jesus says, tells his disciples, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And why don't you just wait here in Jerusalem and you will receive my Holy Spirit. And so they wait there, they obey, they receive the Holy Spirit. This crazy thing happens. Peter preaches, you know, to this crowd and, <clears throat> and 3,000 people come to Christ. And we, and we see, um, you know, just all of these incredible things of, of how the church starts to advance. And then all, also these people, they start to arrest them, persecute them. But the, the word of God keeps advancing, keeps being multiplied. And, um, you know, even, um, you know, so, so that happens and then the church kind of keeps moving. Um, and, you know, even some weird things happen with Ananias and Sapphira and, you know, they lie to the Holy Spirit and they're knocked down dead. That's kind of weird. Um, hopefully that is just maybe in the exception back then. Uh, but, um, you know, and, and then God gives Peter this vision. Hey, um, I want, I'm, I'm moving to the Gentiles. And we start to see these interactions between different people. Um, and then in the last chapter, Peter is thrown in prison. And then he's miraculously released. And then Herod, the guy who threw him in prison, he dies. But then again, the word of God multiplies and increases. And so that's where we're going to turn. Uh, we're going to pick it up in Acts 13. We're going to see just how, how we're not just looking at these exceptional stories or these exceptional things that happened back then but also of how they are examples to us today. And so uh, verse 1 in chapter 13 says this, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, uh, who is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, Mania, Manian, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so the first thing that we see here is this, that Jesus moves and creates community. Jesus moves and creates community. Uh, Antioch, it's this town, and it's north of Jerusalem. And what we see here is that there's this community. There's this family. People are contributing. And, and you know, it says that some of these are, are, are prophets. Some of these are teachers. And, and so it, it kind of is showing us like, hey, people are, have these gifts, and they're using these gifts to encourage others, to encourage the church, to bless others. And, and, you know, we, we say it kind of often around here, but that church is not, not an audience, but that it's a family. Church is not a building, you know, but it's this family, this community of people that are coming together to all contribute. It's, you know, we don't come here to just listen to somebody speak and give a sermon. No, but we're this family of like, hey, we're all in this together. This is something that Jesus has created, Jesus has made. And he's all given us these gifts, these strengths, these abilities to contribute, to love one another, and to, to be on mission with Christ. And, and so we see that. This is what families do. And Jesus is, is moving in this community. And, and we see people using their gifts, using their spiritual gifts. And, you know, that might be something that you kind of hear and you're like, okay, cool. What, what, what is a spiritual gift? Or, or like, how do I get one? If you've trusted in Jesus... 
as your Savior, you've been given at least one spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you get to just pick and kind of, you know, swipe around through there and just like, oh, that one looks really good, and I'll pick that. It's one that is given to you according to His will, but it's given to you so that you might build up others, so that you might, um, you know, edify, kind of build up the church. And if you're thinking like, okay, great, but I don't really know what my spiritual gift is. And, and you know, you could go online and, and, you know, they have these tests and little things that you kind of fill in. And those are fine. Um, those can be helpful. But here, here's what, what I'd say is like, I don't think that that's actually the best way to discern what your spiritual gift is. It's not like they went back and did that back then, right? They don't have internet. They're not getting on their smartphone and checking this stuff out. How did they know what their spiritual gift was? And I would say that the best way to find out what your spiritual gift is, is be in community, right? I mean, I'm not going to get up here and start singing and somebody's like, yeah, let's hear more of that, <laughs> right? The community will tell me, no, <laughs> you are mistaken. You know, it's like those people trying out for American Idol, you know, <laughs> you're just like, and I don't know who's, you know, these people are definitely not in community. Get off the stage, you know, but, but getting, if you're in community, then people actually are able to tell you, man, this is how you are blessing me. This is how you're blessing in my life. And, and then I would just also say, like, start, just start doing something. If you're, hey, I want to know what, how God is gifting me, how he, how, how he wants to use me in this world. I'd say, just start doing something. Start, just jump into some sort of ministry. And, and again, people will let you know. But don't just sit, kind of sit. We could sometimes kind of like sit back and just be like, well, I'll just kind of sit here, do nothing, and hopefully... I'll just figure it out. Let's say jump into community so that you could, uh, you know, just be living out this kind of uh, family that, that God has created us to be. And just like we see that back, you know, thousands of years ago in Antioch, that's not just the exception back then, but that's an example for us today, that God wants us to be in this community living out, contributing to one another. And here's, here's kind of the second thing that, I would, that we see here in verse 1 of how Jesus moves and creates a community. Is look, look at the people here. Look at the names that are mentioned. So Barnabas. Barnabas is a, is a Jewish believer. He's from the island of Cyprus. That's, that's kind of like in the Mediterranean Sea. This is west of where they're at now. So that's who Barnabas is. He's a Jewish believer. And then it says um, Simeon, who is called Niger. So, so that word there, uh, Niger just means black. And so he, he's, he's probably from sub-Saharan, you know, below the Sahara. There we go. I don't know why I was going to say Saharan. Um, I think that's like rice. Um, Sub-Sahara desert, you know, and so like he's kind of like in the middle of Africa or even southern Africa. That's where he's from, uh, most likely. And so then we, we have him. Uh, and then it says Lucius of Cyrene. That's uh, in northern Africa. So he would have been like, um, you know, somebody that would have been like Arabic, kind of more like Middle Eastern. And then it says um, Menaean. And it says that uh, Menaean, he is a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And so Herod the Tetrarch, it's not the Herod that was in chapter 12. Herod the Tetrarch is the same guy that had John the Baptist beheaded. And so this Menaean guy, he was either adopted into this family by, the, by Herod or he's a very, you know, close family friend. So this guy's like, the circles that he runs in and the background that he is, is royalty, is wealthy. 
And so you have this, again, you start to see this diversity of people. Hey, this Jewish believer from an island. Hey, this, this black guy from, you know, Africa. Hey, this kind of Arabic guy from northern Africa. Hey, this guy that's like really wealthy is growing up in, in this kind of background. And then, um, you know, then we have Saul, who's Paul. And he's a Jewish believer, and he comes from this kind of academic, professional background. And so what we have here in Antioch is this multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-class, multi-educated community. It's very diverse. And they're all using, and they're all being affirmed as leaders, as ministers in the church. I mean, think about how hard it is to create this kind of community. I mean, there's a lot of obstacles in this. I mean, in, in, in the ancient world, your religion was very tied to where you lived. You had the God of Israel. You had the God of the Greeks. You had the God of, you know, this spot over here in Africa. And, and everything uh, was tied to the God of that area. And so that was kind of a, a big thing for, for how you grew up, for the culture that, that you knew. I mean, in Ephesus, it was Artemis. The Egyptians had another god. And so just by being from a different place meant that you, you pretty much most likely had a very different religious background, a different set of beliefs that you grew up with than somebody else. And it wasn't common for you to associate with people of different religions. Also in the ancient world, you kind of stick in your economic group. If you're, if you're the rich and wealthy, you don't it's not like you are hanging out with the poor and they're your buddies and your friends. That, that's not normal. The only time that if you're rich and, and is that you really associate with the poor is if you're just giving them something. Oh, hey, you're a beggar. Oh, hey, you need something. There you go. Hey, I'm going to hire you to do a job. There you go. But we're not buddies. We're not friends. And, and, and so you kind of stick with who you are. Scholars hung out with scholars. That's just how it was. You stuck with your own ethnicity. And, and let's just be honest, that's the way it is today, right? Right? All of these things that are in the ancient world that are at the time of Antioch, that are these obstacles to unity, to building community, they're still obstacles today. Right? I mean, like, we see it. We've seen it so much this past year of how just different political beliefs cause division. We've seen how the color of our skin has caused division. Just opinions on, on COVID has caused division. I mean, all of these things. I mean, even just simple things like sports. And yes, Alex hopefully will repent. <laughs> right? It causes these divisions just because we, we associate with different teams. Like All of these things are obstacles to this unity that we could have. But here's the thing. Wherever there's obstacles that the world has, there's opportunity in Jesus. Wherever there's obstacles, there's opportunity for Jesus to move and create community. And think, I mean, just like back then, it's the same today that, hey, there is all these diverse people of different skin color, different, you know, multi-class, multi-educational, multicultural, all of these things. But then God, Jesus, moves and creates this community there in Antioch and to say, hey, but this is going to be different. Why? Because, yeah, you do have all these differences, and we are diverse, and that's, that's okay. We can affirm uh, each other's differences, but... That's not going to be an obstacle for us to have unity. Why? Because we are all united in Christ. 
We're all people that, that without Christ, we're just dead in our sin. We're lost. We're completely hopeless. But with Christ, we're all also completely forgiven, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. We're all completely loved, not because of anything that we've done to earn it, not because, man, hey, I'm a little bit better because I have more money than someone else, or I behave a little bit better. That way, I'm a little bit more, you know, kind of in with Jesus. No, it's like, hey, at the foot of the cross, we're all on level ground, and Jesus says, man, I'm going to create this community. Why? Because that's what I'm doing. I overcome these obstacles that the world tells you is the things that separate you. I'm going to overcome them and say, man, my blood is going to unify you. Your identity is not in these other things that the world emphasizes. Your identity is in Christ. And I mean, church, when we read this back then, this is not just the exception, but it's an example for us today of, hey, what kind of community does Jesus want to continue to create through you and me and through the person to the right of you and to the left of you? Hey, we do have differences. And that's okay. But we also have any, like, whatever can divide us is going to be far weaker than what can unite us in Christ. And we get to be this picture, we have this, this opportunity in Jesus to reflect something beautiful and amazing to this world. That, hey, yeah, you know what, this world is pretty divisive. Hey, people will, will, won't associate with you if you're from a different economic class or a different political group or whatever but hey, that's not what it is like with the family of God. Why? Because Jesus is moving. Jesus is creating community. Jesus is unifying us in himself, and he's far bigger than anything else in this world. And so we see here that Jesus, you know, he moves and he creates this community. Look at verse 2. So it's this church, and it says, As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. And so here we see that the Holy Spirit moves people to mission. The Holy Spirit moves people to mission. And when you, when you see that there in verse 2, it says, As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Circle, underline, highlight, mark, mark in there. You know, and, and how this is worded there in, in verse 2, it kind of makes it seem like, hey, this is kind of normal. It's not like all of a sudden they're having this special prayer time. It's just like, hey, this is what we do. We, we worship. We fast. We're seeking God's face together. We're wanting, to, we're wanting to hear from him. We're expecting God to move and to speak. And so while they are worshiping, while they are fasting, while they're seeking God's face, the Holy Spirit speaks. I think a question when I say is like, well, how'd the Holy Spirit do that? Well, what did he do? And here we go. I don't know. Right? The text doesn't say. So I'm not really, I don't really know. But I think what Luke is saying here is like, hey, it's not so much. You don't need to focus on how did the Holy Spirit speak. What you need to focus on is that the Holy Spirit spoke and they obeyed. And so, so they're, they're looking at this. And, and so when it says that the, you know, just a kind of a few observations in this, the Holy Spirit didn't just speak to Paul and Barnabas individually. He didn't just kind of come to them and they had this, this moment by themselves individually that just said, hey, uh, God spoke to me and I need to go to such and such place. See you later. 
That's not what happened. But he came to them as a church, as a community. The Holy Spirit spoke to them. You know, and so mission, going out, is not just between the person going and God. It's not just between them. The story doesn't suggest that at all. I think, you know, sometimes we can, we can think that that's what happens. I'll just kind of kick back, and then just God will just supernaturally speak to me, and then I'm just going to go. And I'm not saying that that can't happen, but here, I mean, like we see this typically in Acts that it's, man, it's in community that this is, that this is happening. The church receives the call. The church sins. The church affirms. The church supports. You know, it's not just Paul and Barnabas going solo. And even, even Paul, the mighty apostle, you don't see him operating apart from community. If you even just look through his letters, you know, he's writing, thanking other churches like, hey, thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you're praying for me. It's not just him doing it on his own. You know, even in these chapters, after Paul and Barnabas leave, they go to about four or five different cities, and then they go back to Antioch to report what, what God has done. And so it's, it's done in community. And then also notice that this is done, you know, they're at the beginning. They're, they're, they're worshiping, they're fasting, they're seeking God's face. The Holy Spirit speaks, and then what do they do? They again seek God's face. They go to prayer. They're always relying on God. And, and you know, and we even... Pray as a church, communally. You know, we take communion, typically, we, what we try to do is take communion every other week, and that's just kind of a little bit more reflective, but we take this to celebrate the, the gospel together, and then every other week we communally pray, and we try to pray through, you know, our, our core values of down, up, in, and out. And let's admit, that's weird, right? Like, let's admit when we kind of say like, all right, hey, church, we're going to pray, through these things, so just get with somebody next to you and pray together. There's an awkwardness to that, right? I mean, we kind of feel it. You're like, all right, man. Hey, you. I don't know how well I know you, but um, hey. And you're kind of thinking about it. Man, will this prayer sound legit? Will my prayer sound pretty good? Or will they be like, that's stupid. Don't pray like that. You know, I don't really, I don't think anybody's really thinking that, but we think it, like, are they wondering about that? But, but, but again, they're seeking God together, you know, because, and here's why we do that, because we know that, that God is big, he's amazing, and he's on the move, and he is speaking, moving through us, his church, and since we, we serve a big, amazing, awesome God, we're going to ask him to do big, amazing, awesome things. Together, and that it's just worth the awkwardness in this. And so it's out of this communion with God that the Spirit speaks. This, this meeting with God leads to mission with God. This communion with God leads to being commissioned by God. Warren Wiersbe said this. It says that the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to Him, the more intensely missionary we must become. Our God is a, is a missionary. I mean, Jesus is a missionary. God sent the Son, right? And he says, even as the Father sent me, I send you. And so we reread here that this, this worship, this seeking God's face leads to opportunity. It leads to the oppor this opportunity that the Holy Spirit moves. And so if I say to you, you know, and we read this like, okay, hey, they're worshiping God, they're seeking him, they're praying him, and then the Spirit spoke and moved them to mission... And so for us today, if we want to be moved to mission, we could seek God's face. And then the more missionary we'll become. 
Now, if I say that, if some of you are like, that sounds pretty exciting. Hey, the more that, you know, the, 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 you know, that praying, that worshiping, fasting, seeking God's face, listening to him, that will lead to this opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak and maybe move some of us or move us to mission with him. That sounds exciting, but also that sounds intimidating, right? Sometimes you may not want to meet with God because you're a little bit hesitant of how God's going to move you. Man, I want to meet with you, God, but what mission are you going to call me to? You know, in my huddle, uh, you know, in a huddle is, is a group of three to five people that meet together for just, you know, intentional relationship to grow closer to Christ and become more like him. You know, so in my, in my huddle, we're going through the book of Luke and, and this question popped up and it just said, um, hey, what is the biggest hindrance to you surrendering to Jesus? What's the, what's the biggest hindrance to you just saying like, yeah, I'm going to surrender everything to God? You know, and we all answered the same way. You know, and, and, and it was just this. It was just selfishness, comfort. And, you know, that, that's what it was for me. It was like, man, my comfort. Man, I, you know, I don't always want to completely surrender to God because, man, is that going to make my life uncomfortable? And this can be true for a lot of us. We read this, we're like, oh, that's cool. But, man, I don't know if I want to meet with God like that because what will maybe God do? That will make me uncomfortable. What will God do to mess me up? Because he, what kind of mission will he be drawing me to? You know, this, this last Christmas, Everly, our daughter, she's, she's seven, and she made us coasters for Christmas. And she had painted them and, um, and everything, and they were great. They were super fun. And she made one for Christy, and it was, you know, this rainbow, and it had all these bright colors. It was really nice. And so one day, you know, Christy is getting some coffee, and she asks Everly, hey, would you get me my coaster for my, co my coffee? And then Everly comes, and she hands her these black rubber ones that we have. And then Chrissy was, hey, wait a minute, why, why didn't you get me the one that you made me? I wanted to use it. And Everly said, um, well, I didn't want coffee to get on it and mess it up. If you use it, it might mess, up, mess, mess it up and make it dirty. Even though the purpose of the coaster is to be used as a coaster, many times in our lives, we don't want to be used by God because we're afraid that he's going to mess up our pretty picture that we have for our life. Man, this is what I, God, this is what I think my life should look like. Please, please don't get any stains on it. Don't get any coffee. Don't mess it up. Don't make it dirty. Just keep it nice and clean and simple because this is, this is what I'm thinking for my life. You know, but when we meet with God, when we seek his face, there's this opportunity. In prayer, praying and listening, the Holy, there's this opportunity for the Spirit to move in our midst, to move in your heart, to move in us. And as, as the Holy Spirit moved and, and as the Holy Spirit spoke here, the church obeyed. And what happened? We see in the chapters that come, and even us today, we're a testament of this, that the Holy Spirit moved in amazing ways in his through his church, and more and more people came to know Jesus. The gospel was proclaimed. The word was multiplied. Why? Because they were saying, hey, it's okay if you mess up the picture that I have for my life. It's okay if you get a little dirty. Why? Because God, your picture for my life is better than anything that I could come up with on my own. God, 
you can do something amazing. And God, I'm just going to trust that you know better. And you know what? As you came for me, and you, Jesus, you got messy for me. You got uncomfortable for me. I'm willing to do that for you because, God, you're that glorious. You're that good. I mean, think as, as, we, as you seek God's face, as you meet with him, the opportunity that God has for you to, to reach one of your coworkers, to reach one of your family members, to reach one of your friends. I mean, just like he set, the, set Paul and Barnabas aside for a work then, he's setting you aside for something. And yeah, it might be uncomfortable, but here's this awesome thing. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit and how he might move, he can use you to change someone's life for eternity. Man, that's amazing. Somebody could cross over from spiritual death to life. Somebody could know the amazing love of Jesus Christ just by us meeting with God and allowing him to speak to us. And, and just like a movement happened back then, one can happen now. And so we've, we've seen how Jesus moves. He creates this community. We've seen how the Holy Spirit moves uh, his people to mission. And then last, we see how God moves in power, how God moves in power. And so uh, verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they sent out to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Um, arriving, in, uh, or, yeah, arriving in uh, Salamis, or Chris said it was pronounced Salamis, so that seems weird. But Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And they also had John as their assistant. When they traveled at the whole land, the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. That's so fun when you see yourself in the word of God. Um, yeah. Um, if you didn't catch that, it's probably because, you know, I'm, I'm just intelligent. Um, so uh, he was an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them. And, they tried to turn the, and he tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who is also called Paul. Now just pause here. I don't know if you're reading this and you're just like, I'm, I'm actually a little frustrated with Luke here. You know, hey, uh, Bar-Jesus, well, Elymas, that's also it is. Hey, Saul, Paul, this guy, this guy. And you're like, golly, this is a lot of names. Uh, and a lot of places. You're just like, can you just kind of like, hey, they went to a place and then eventually this happened, you know, everything. Um, so it's just kind of weird. But, um, but, you know, this is a kind of a quick reminder that this is, uh, you know, the Bible is real. Bible is real people, real places, real times. And so he's recording to us what really happened with real people. These are their names. And so he's sharing this to us. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and when it says Saul, and it changes his name to Paul right here, the reason is because pretty much from this point forward, a lot of Paul's focus is to, to the Gentiles, and he's going to, out uh, from Israel to these other places. And so it's just changing that, his name to the Greek one. And so we, we read here that there's this proconsul, and a proconsul is like a governor from, you know, uh, commissioned by Rome. And so, so he's, he's a pretty prestigious person uh, who rules for Rome, and, and he's this intelligent man. And, you know, sometimes we could think that people that are more 
let's say, brainy kind of intelligent people and, and real thoughtful people, we could sometimes think that they might be a little bit resistant to wanting to hear about Jesus. But here, he's the one that calls Paul uh, and Barnabas. Hey, I want to hear. I want to know what's going on. And, and, you know, we were even talking to our city group, and somebody said, hey, you never know who might be hungry for the word of God. You, you, you might not ever know, because sometimes we can maybe think like, well, I don't know if they're really interested. I don't know about this, but hey, you never know. You never know who, how the Holy Spirit is already stirring in somebody's heart. And so, you know, they, they're, they're with uh, this pro-counsel, and then this false prophet, this magician, perhaps, you know, kind of through some uh, demonic influence, Paul talks about that a little bit later, kind of when he addresses that person, he's trying to turn the pro-counsel away from Jesus. He, he, you know, Paul and Barnabas, they're sharing the gospels, they're sharing the word of God, and this false prophet is not having any of it. He wants to lead them astray and turn them away from Jesus. And then we read in verse 9, but Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elymas. Some versions even just say that he stared intently at him. And he said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You son of the devil, you enemy of all that is, uh, is right. Some say, you know, I think in the ESV it says, you son of villainy. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? I mean, this is, this is intense. And let's, I always sometimes wonder what are they thinking at this moment? Because this could be kind of awkward. I mean, this guy, you're like, yeah, and then, hey, Jesus and, and stuff. And then he just looks to him like, hey, looks intently at him. You son of the devil. You son of villainy. I mean, he just roasts the guy. Uh, I mean, he, I mean, Paul, I mean, think about what Paul could have said. Paul could have just said like, hey, hey, cut that out. Hey, knock it off. Hey, you'll get your chance here in a little bit. Hey, please don't. But, but I mean, this is very intense language that P Paul stares at him super intently and just boom, just kind of roasts the guy, burns him. And that might feel a little bit weird for us, but, but think though. A man's soul is at stake. The pro council that's listening to this, the Holy Spirit is filling Paul, and, and God is saying, hey, I am after this guy. I am working in this guy's life, and I don't want any false junk getting in the way of this guy hearing the gospel. And so Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks and says, hey, you need to be quiet, man. It's old, like you are full of deceit, and he calls him out on it. Because eternity hangs in the balance for him. And what this reminds us is that we're going to face opposition. You know, if we're, if we're pursuing God, if we're meeting with God, if we're joining with God on his mission, we're going to face opposition. I mean, Jesus said, hey, the world's going to hate you. Why? Because it hated me first. Jesus faced opposition. We should expect spiritual warfare in, in our lives. That not everybody's just going to be like, oh, I'm so glad you're sharing. I, I agree with everything that you're saying. And, and when, we, when we face opposition and, and we, we kind of step into a situation and things don't go the way that we want them to or the way that we thought they were, I think it's easy for us to think, oh, I don't actually know if this is God's will. Maybe, maybe, I'm fa maybe, the, maybe things aren't going very smoothly because God didn't lead me to do this. This is tough. This just doesn't seem to be working out. And sometimes I think we get caught up in the results 
of, of the work we're doing. We, we kind of even chase results rather than chasing God. We trust the results rather than trusting what God said. And if things aren't going according to plan, or if you're facing opposition, that might actually indicate that you are in the exact spot that you need to be. I mean, again, think. I, I mean, if we read the text, the Holy Spirit is moving, and it seems like actually he's move, already moving in the pro council's life, and he's the one that invites them into the conversation. But when there's opposition, whenever there's opposition, there's opportunity. If there's opposition, there's opportunity for God to move in power. I mean, God told Moses to go talk to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said no. Moses could be like, well, I guess this isn't God's will. But it was an opportunity for God to move in power. Hey, Moses, this isn't going to happen just because you asked Pharaoh. This is going to happen because of my mighty power. This is an opportunity for me to show you, the Israelites, and even the Egyptians, that I am the one true God. When, when Jesus prayed from the garden of Gethsemane, he just said, God, man, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But, but again, not my will, your will be done. And then Jesus was arrested. Jesus was beaten. Jesus was crucified. This could be thinking, hey, man, I don't know if this is God's will. I don't know, man, this, this, all this opposition that I'm facing. But Jesus was actually right where he was, where he needed to be. And even in all of that opposition that Jesus is facing, there's this opportunity, and it even just this opportunity for Jesus to show us, to show you, hey, whatever opposition I'm going to face, I have power to move beyond that. Yes, I'm going to be crucified. Yes, I'm going to be beaten. Yes, I'm going to be mocked and rejected. But nothing is going to stop me from paying the price for your sin. Nothing's going to stop me from showing you how much I absolutely love and care about you and want to bring you to myself in this relationship. I am. Jesus will not be stopped, and he will pay the price for sin. Even death couldn't stop him. God moved in power and rose him from the dead, showing, him, showing us that, man, Jesus really did pay the price for sin completely. It is finished. It is paid in full. And whatever opposition that you are facing, you know, to, to, today, you know, because some of you are facing this opposition, man, I don't really know. You don't know about my past. I feel this shame. I feel this sin. Man, I don't really know what God really thinks about me. Man, I, you know, I, I'm really far from God. Whatever opposition that you are facing, there's an opportunity for you today to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And it, no amount of being a good person is going to make you right with God. That there's no amount of sin or shame that makes you too far for God to reach or too bad for God to love. Your, your weakness is an opportunity for God to show you his amazing power and his amazing love for you. Hey, it's not because of you. It's not by your works. It's not by you making yourself a good person. I have paid the price for your sin. I want to rescue you. Come to me. And if you, if you don't know Christ, today is an opportunity for you to know him, for you to be saved to him. Again, not because of yourself, but because of what Jesus has done for you, that he paid the price for your sin. And so turn to Christ today. Turn to him. And, and you know, we see here when, that, when there's this opposition that they're facing, there's this opportunity for God to move in power. Look at, 
Look at verse 11. So Paul looks intently at him in verse 10, gives him this roast. And then verse 11, now, look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind, and you will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. So he's struck blind, God moves in power, and then verse 12, then when he saw what happened, the pro-council, so the pro-council is listening to this conversation, he's watching what happened, the pro-council believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I mean, think of all this opposition that is even, even the pro-council is in. He's in a culture that doesn't believe in Jesus. He's in a culture that's not encouraging him to turn to Jesus and believe in him. And then there's this false prophet that, that is there trying to lead him astray, but then he believes. But what causes him to believe and to turn away from those lies? It's, it's not the power of Paul looking super intensely at, at the false prophet. It's not the power of Paul's burn to that guy. It's not even the power of the miracle. It says that he believed and he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. It's the word of God. It's the gospel that's being proclaimed. And the power, God moves in power and saves this guy. You know, and, and for all of us, this should just remind us the power that is in the gospel and the word of God. This is what Hebrews 4.12 says. It says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and heart attitudes of the heart. Isaiah 55.11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish all that I, what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. There's power in the word of God because it is from God. The word of God has authority because God has authority. And today we're, we're faced with a lot of false things. I mean, that might just be because of what the culture is saying. Hey, this is right, and it's not really right. Maybe it's because of, you know, just the, the you know, media or whatever it might be. It just might be because of other people's opinions. It might be even just because of your own self and the only th- the own things that you think. But we look to the word of God. God, what are you saying? What is the gospel? We have all these insecurities and these doubts about who we are, about, man, did, did Jesus really forgive that? Does Jesus really love me in spite of that? And we look to the gospel to look for truth, to remember the power is in God, not in ourselves, not in the opinions of people. And so here we see just God moved in power. The spirit blinded a false prophet. The word overcame deceit, and the gospel saved a man for eternity. You know, and we could look at the, the, here in Acts 13, we could be like, hey, that was really cool for back then. Hey, that was the exception. Just like we see the exceptions today. Hey, there might not be another Michael Jordan. LeBron might get close. I mean, even then, you're still only talking about a couple people out of thousands. There might not be another Tom Brady. Patrick Mahomes might get close. But even then, you're still talking just about a couple people out of thousands. And hey, we could really try. We could really practice. And we could, we could do everything that they do. And we still might not ever achieve anything remotely close to what they do. They are just the exceptions. And here in Acts, we could think like, hey, man, these are just the exceptions of what God did back then. But it's not an example for us at all in any way of what God could do now. 
But the same God that worked back then is the same God that is working today. The same Jesus that moved back then and created community is the same Jesus that can do that today. The same Holy Spirit that that moved people to mission with him is the same Holy Spirit that speaks to us and moves us to mission with him. The same God that moved in power back then is the same one that moves today. These aren't just exceptions, but these examples to us of what God can and will do through us today. And and if we're the church, you know, we, we, we as the church... If we're looking to the same Christ, filled with the same spirit, preaching the same gospel, why wouldn't we go out in boldness to know, man, God moves. God is with me. And the same God that did moved in power and saved thousands of people back then is the same God that can move in me and through me to see other people come to know him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, we thank you, God, that you are the same God. Yesterday, today, and forever, you are the same God, and that same Holy Spirit fills us today. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, that as we just look to, I don't know, just all the different obstacles that we face, all the different opposition that we might be feeling, Lord, to see that, hey, and on the other side of these things, there's always an opportunity for you to do something, for you to unify, for you to move Lord, in our lives, in the world around us. And so, Lord, help us to continue to look to you and to be not afraid of what you want to do, Lord, because you are an amazing God and that you are moving around us. And so, Lord, help us to just continue to look to Jesus and the fact, Lord, that, that, that you love us, that you've made us new. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.